And uh, would you pray with me right now as we invoke the blessing of the Lord on his word. Dear Lord, tonight we come to you. We recognize the great task preaching the word of the Lord, the feebleness of men that you call to do it, but the mystery of it all, it is something that you have chosen. I don't suppose any of us who this may have fallen to be our lot would have chosen it had we had the privilege of choosing. You have placed us in the body as it has pleased you. And dear Lord, tonight we ask you to work your will and to have your way and to speak to those hearts. Speak to all of us tonight. Inspire us to declare the truth of God. These requests that have come in, we ask you to lay your hand upon them right now, O Lord God. Recognizing that you are our healer, you are our provider, you are our banner, you are our savior, you are our strength, you are our bread, you are our life. And we give you praise right now, dear Lord. Would you condition the minds of these who are here tonight to receive the word of the Lord? And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing just uh, a little of this love of God. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong. God bless you as you sing it. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how again with me please oh love of God how rich and pure I'll measure and
Can we praise him right now? Hallelujah. 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 In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. It's so nice to have all of our visitors with us tonight. And we trust that this service will be a blessing to you. And if you'll give me your attention for the next few moments, I'll deeply appreciate it. I would like to bring to you a little message that the Lord impressed me with. I believe it was uh, Friday. And uh, I've been thinking about it, praying about it. To tell you the truth, I'd like to have a little more time to think about it. And uh, I think it could become more thorough. But uh, I, I felt constrained to use it tonight. And uh, I have never heard anybody preach about this particular thought. In all of my um, 35 years of trying to be a Christian, and I don't want you to think that I'm trying to come up with something that nobody else ever heard of, because it was given to me of the Lord freely and easily. It did not come hard. It did not come as a task. But it just fell right into my soul. And um, so I'm going to uh, give it to you. I'm reading in the 21st chapter of the book of the Revelation. And I would like to begin reading with verse 9, and I shall read down through 17. And in the 17th verse is lodged and located the little subject that I want to bring to you tonight. And there came unto me one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, some translations that might be vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come here, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as a crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written on the gates, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates of it, and its walls. And the city lieth foursquare. The length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 
12,000 furlongs, that's 1,500 mile cube. Now, we think Houston is a large city, and I know that New York is, and Tokyo is still larger. Uh, but when you get one that's 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles high, friend, you got your city. And it's got 12 foundations, so that would be 125 miles of the first floor. We have never seen any skyscrapers yet. We just plan to. That'll make Pikes Peak look like a corn crib. And uh, Empire State, well, you'd think that was a toad frog house. You could hardly see it. I don't know how far you can see. You can see lightning about 90 miles to tell me that a golden falcon, which is uh, one of the greatest eagles in the eagle family, has three sets of eyes, can see five miles, a jackrabbit. Well, we're going to outsee the eagle. You talk about a time, we're going to have a time we get over there. I'm planning on having a pretty nice time before I get there because I've got him who made all of that in my heart and I feel that you have the like blessing. And uh, so it's four square. Then verse 17, here is the thought here. And he measured the wall of it, 144 cubics. And here is the phrase according to the measure of a man. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, according to the measure of a man. If I can, if the Lord will help me, I'd like to show you how ultra-important you as a creature really is in his sight. I recognize, and you have heard me say for 11 years, how full of infirmities the human heart is filled and how incapacitated so many times we are. But at the same time, God is capitalizing on man, his image creature, according to the measure of a man. Even as sinful and as evil as man has been, his shadow is seen in the heavens and in the eternities of Almighty God. The Lord has a tremendous investment in the family of man. We could never imagine the investment that heaven has in man or mankind. There is not a person in this house tonight and I would dare say there has never been a man that ever lived in the world that understands the love of God. I cannot understand it 
to save me. And I don't think he ever intended for me to be that fashionable revelation-wise. But I'd like for you to notice that man is the creature that God chose to make in his image. And when heaven was measured, when heaven was uh, described, when the beauties and the glories of the Lord had been named and cataloged, he said, it's according to the measure of a man. According to the measure of the man, of a man. Now, the foundations are the names of men, the apostles. The gates are named, and it's named after the name of men. I want you to notice that. This was the dimension in which God chose to come to us is in and like a man. Don't forget when he described the city, when he laid it out, when he allowed it to be measured, man measured city let me just run down with you uh, a few things that God has chosen and God has worked where man is involved when the Lord decided to call a nation out of universal idolatry he picked the man Abraham when Moses decided he wanted a lawgiver I mean when God decided he wanted a lawgiver and he wanted a deliverer and he wanted an Israeli emancipator, he sent a man to Egypt. When he decided he needed an object lesson in Potiphar's household, he chose a man by the name of Joseph that outwitted, outlived, outdone, overcame all the subtlety of Potiphar's household. When God chose to write on the millenniums to come and to describe the entire history, retrospectively, introspectively, and prospectively of Israel. He chose the prophet Isaiah when he decided he wanted to uh, give as a voice of condemnation to the utter depravity that existed in all of Israel. He chose the prophet Jeremiah. He was a man. When he decided he needed an object lesson to lay on his left side for a year and a half, and then turn over on his right side and lay for six months to illustrate the sins of that nation, he chose a man by the name of Ezekiel. And then when God chose to lock up and to unlock, to illustrate and to describe the apostate federated kingdoms that would culminate and be summarized under one headship, he called a man by the name of Daniel, and he sent him and three of his choice colleagues to the kingdom of Babylon, and through those four men, the entire nation was turned to God. 
according to the measure of a man the city has been measured. And again, when he decided that he wanted to leave an everlasting spiritual covenant with the human family, he picked out 12 men and gave them the keys and allowed the nucleus of believers to be locked in the hands and the talent and the spirit and the body of 12 men. And then when he decided he wanted to stir up a city and uh, a eunuch find God, he chose a man and sent him to Samaria. And it was Peter on the day of Pentecost, a man, a Jewish man, a fisherman, that stood up and preached a notable sermon on the day of Pentecost and turned 3,000 people around, brainwashed them in one sermon and caused them to see that Jesus was Messiah and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but he did it with a man. It's according to the measure of a man. And again, when he decided that Gentiles needed to hear about this marvelous plan of salvation. He had a man on a housetop praying, and he called him off of the housetop, get up off your knees, go down to the front gate, don't doubt anything, don't call anything common or unclean that I'm working with, that I'm dealing with, and I plan to sanctify, and give the same life, identical experience that I gave to you. He chose a man to do it. According to the measure of a man, and then his church is a composite of people who have accepted the terms of the gospel. And it is composed of men and women and boys and girls that have been sanctified. He measured the city according to the measure of a man. I want you to know tonight that you as an individual is an important dimension in God's work. He wants you to let him use you. He wants you to let him save you. He wants you to let uh, him carry around in your life and in your heart his spirit. He wants to Allow his glory to seep out through your flesh and through your hands and with your feet and with your mouth. He has said to us, go and let your light so shine. I'll tell you, God is parading the creature made and fashioned after his own image called man. It will be through the medium of manhood that the world hears the gospel. Now here we all are, every last one of us. Without the Holy Spirit, without the gospel, uh, we are just a lost piece of humanity. And did you know that you being saved is predicated on the fact, on the weak fact that God would call a man to preach and that man would preach God's message and God's message would find its lodging, its hideout, its seclusion and its embedded working element 
buried in the bosom of a man. He measured the city and he did it according to the measure of a man. He is willing to work with us. He wants us as his co-laborer. We are God's actual counterpart. He is depending on you and you and you and you to witness of the truth that he has allowed to rest in your bosom. There is nothing more important in all the creation of God than man. And when I use that, I'm using it in a plural sense. And I'm taking in the whole race. The fact God knew when Wilma Ruth Nix was born that someday she would be the vessel that would break the gospel ice in Rhodesia. God chose and let pivot and hang from a thread and a balance the fact that someday the offspring from the loins of a man would come a vessel that nations would hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has decided and prescribed and allocated the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to angels, not to cherubims, not to seraphims, not to archangels, nor angels, but it has been allocated to M-A-N. It's according to the measure of a man. Now then, let's look a little further here. Turn over there, Sister Dees, and read that first scripture that I have there for you. It's Hebrews 2 and 14, I believe, and then 16 and 17. And let's notice uh, just a little bit here uh, what the Lord says. When God decided he wanted to live with us, he came to live as a man. All right, let's read it. For as much then as the children, what? Are partakers of flesh and blood. Did you know we could have lived on apple juice if he'd have decided? You'd have had apple juice in your blood instead of blood. Or he could have put crap juice in there. Or he could have put wine in there. Of course, uh, the, as many dope addicts as we got now, they might have killed you and got all your wine out and got drunk on it. You never know how that might go. But you see, he decided that blood would be in our veins. That was his prescription. That was his equation. That was his formula. And he said, the life is in the blood. And so his children were partakers of flesh and blood. Read. He also himself, he also himself likewise, likewise, took, part took part of the same. He came when man's God appeared. He appeared as a man. He did not appear as an angel. He did not appear as some kind of a spiritual creature. He slept in a bed. He was born of a woman. He was cradled in a manger. He lived in a community. He preached the gospel in a fisherman's community. He went to the tax assessors. He called them from this walk and from that walk. He came to us according to the measure of a man. And read the next reading there. <clears throat> that, through death, that through death, he might destroy, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Or bear, 
He took not upon him the nature of angels. Listen, I can't see an angel. Now, maybe you've seen one, and I don't have any right to say you didn't see one, but I have never seen one. But if you say you saw one, well and good. But my eyes were not made to see angels. The only way in the world that I can have a mystical experience and it can be in my vision is for God to do something to my eyes. And don't ask me what he does, whether he touches the rods or the cones or fools with the lens and the telescope or the microscopic angle of the thing or touches this thing or that thing. I don't know what he does, but it has been known that people would see angels. But when God came to man, he came as a man, not as an angel, according to the measure of a man. Read. Wherefore in all things, Wherefore in all things it, behooves it behooves him to be made like, like unto his brethren. You see, he got tired. He walked. He slept. He ate. He died. He was sick on the cross. Uh, he spoke like a man. He walked like a man. He talked like a man. He was a man. When you looked at the hair on the head of Jesus Christ, you were looking at the hair of God. When you heard his voice, you heard the voice of God. When you saw his hand, you saw the hand of God. When you saw his foot, you saw the foot of God. When you saw his skin, you saw the skin of God. When God came to us, he came in the measure of a man and his shadow falls upon the entire spectrum of redemption and the names of the men to whom he gave the commission of the church, their names are on the 12 foundations of the city. And have it as you may, the 12 gates are the names of men according to the measure of a man. There is nothing that God will not do for us. There is nothing that God will not help us do. If you have an oppression tonight, if you have sin tonight, I'd like for you to know that my God has the ability to deal with any measure of sin that might befall your very life. There is no depth of sin. There is no breadth of sin. There is no height of sin that God cannot reach into the, the very active portion of your life that's without hope and without God and he can reach in there and pull you out if you will believe. You never go so far but what if he takes a notion he can get a hold of you. There are two trap doors in a man's life that can never be closed to God. And that's the love for goodness and what we call the ennui, the boredom. In other words, you try this and it doesn't work. You try that and it doesn't satisfy because there is a vacuum. There is a dimension lying in the center of the heart of man that only the creator that made him can occupy that apartment. And until that apartment is occupied, there is that vacancy and there is that lonesomeness and there is that ennui and there is that depravity and there is that forsaken feeling and there is that lonesome feeling according to the measure of a man. So he came as one of us. Now then, 
Read that next scripture there. And let's see what the word said. When Isaiah saw the coming Messiah, listen how he said it. Let me paraphrase it. And uh, you get uh, Mark 6 and 1 to 3. Listen to this. When Isaiah saw this wonderful God coming, he said for unto us, A child is born. A son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called the Mighty God. His name shall be called the Everlasting Father. His name shall be the Prince of Peace. That's what Jesus was. But it was according to the measure of a man. He was not an angel, allow me to repeat. He was not any type of a spiritual creature in the sense that we could have not seen. We, could have, uh, we, we, were, we would have not been able to see him. But he came according to the measure of a man. Now then, read this other scripture here in Mark, and let's see what the word says. In Mark 6, 1 to 3, notice what he says. And you went out from sin. Now I want to show you that God is bound up in the inability that men have and possess of not being able to accept the eternal. He will play along with us. Not because he would not like to do otherwise. But because he refuses to go beyond your own personal dimension. He will not run ahead. He's not an ill-mannered God. Neither is he lazy nor dragged behind. He will stay right with you. Right, left. Right, left. Right, left. Right, left. Because he came as a measure of a man. He will subject himself to the horribleness of your unbelief. He's got the utmost manners and he honors you and your will above his will if you want it that way. He's one of the fairest dimensions of truth that could ever be known. He's never been known to take advantage of anybody. He said, a smoking flax, I will not quench. What is he trying to say to me? He is saying to me, if there is just a small, ember of heat lying somewhat in a dormant and a dying state he will never finish putting it out he will do his best to fan that smoking flax and a bruised reed I don't care how betrayed you may be or how horrible you may be or to what degree of sin that you have plunged and involved and possessed your mind, your spirit, and your body in too. He will never turn his back on a call that comes from your dirty lips. I'm telling you tonight, according to the measure of a man, he limits his unfathomless. He limits his all-wiseness. He limits his all-power to the finite paddling, stumbling and staggering of my own consecration. And will come to you about a headache, 
will come to you about $5 will come to you over a little problem that you are too immature to climb over and send a blessing and send help. Oftentimes, he can hide in the raindrop of a blessing and come and burst upon you like the rising of the sun. I'm trying to show you tonight that you are a studded diamond in the spectrum of Almighty God. It is your spirit that He loves. It is your body that He loves. It's made after His body. Your mind represents in a degree the mind of God. But light that did come to that was refracted because of the entrance of evil. And the evil in us, the basic Fundamental dregs of evil in us has a way of turning the light from us or turning our head. You see, we are ill-mannered. We are horribly ill-mannered. Some of us are more ill-mannered than others. But God has no ill-manneredness. He'll never turn his head when your little sobbing, feeble cry is called. When you say the name Jesus, I don't care what's wrong. He will listen To the measure of a man. I don't care how little your problem is. He will give you grace in the tiniest element of your life. It doesn't matter what your need is. Just voice the need. Don't be selfish. Don't be egotistical. Don't be heady. Don't be high-minded. But turn to him in your infantile dimension and say, Oh, God, have mercy on me. He loves to have mercy. He lives and lets you live to show you his mercy. He lets you live to be forgiven. I have ever right in the world, and oftentimes I have stood over the sick body of individuals and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. in the word that you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked this man is wicked oh God will you paddle with me in my faith will you paddle with me in my unbelief but I'm saying no 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 the church can say no and it will be no to God the church can say yes and that will be yes to God oh God if I could get you to see it if you can just see it, if you can just get a ray of it, if you can just get a little flicker of it, if there can just be a little opening in the screen, uh, there can just be a little opening on the stage, and you can understand the smallest problem that you've got tonight, my God is interested. And if you want to, you can pray all night, and he'll stay right there with you and talk to you and work with you and pray with you and sob with you and cry with you all night. When he came to the grave of Lazarus, he knew those girls loved that boy that died. He was a precious brother. He was a wonderful citizen and a, and a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. And the Bible said when he heard them sobbing, when he heard them weeping, when he heard them moaning and groaning, the shortest verse of Scripture in the Bible, in St. John has said, and Jesus wept. 
he took that great big everlasting illuminous dimension of immortality and squeezed it right down into a poor little diminished cord and got right in there weeping and in their lonesome sorrowful feeling and poor Mary she just like a lot of us she said He doesn't want to do it tomorrow. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, yes, Lord, I understand that someday, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get this. But he said, I am right now. I don't have to be tomorrow. I am right now. And he said, roll away the stone. Poor old Mary Magdalene, she loved to wash dishes. She liked to sweep floors. I know a lot of good women. They like to keep house. And they're wonderful housekeepers. But dear God, there's not going to be any premium on that when it comes to faith. There comes a time when you must let the natural go. It will rob you. It will cheat you. The robbers are here tonight to take your mind off of that he wants to do for you. There are people in this congregation tonight, you need a miracle in your life. You need to be shook from Dan to Beersheba. You need to recognize that you are God's child and he wants to give you what you want and what you need and what you must have. He begs of you tonight, as it were. He would not have me preaching this kind of a sermon if he were not so totally interested in you. You can take this for what it were, it's worth and you can say, I, I know or I don't know. And I want you to know that I happen to know something about this congregation. If God had given me that message, I would have preached it. But God knew that if I preached that message with some of the things I'm oriented with in your personal life, you might have thought I'd just trump that up. But that man knows nothing but what God is trying to say to you, that he will work for you according to the measure of a man. You don't have to sit idly by. You do not have to be sterile. You do not have to be spiritually impotent. You do not have to be a paralytic. But God will heal you in body, in soul, and spirit tonight. My Lord, yes. Tonight. I'm not talking about the God of yesterday. I'm talking about the God of today. According to the measure of a man. You can have what you want. And the reason you don't have any more. It's because you're satisfied with the little dab you've got. And I want to smoke you out. And I want to pull you out. And I don't intend to let you alone. Because I'm not supposed to let you alone. And I'm not going to let myself alone. If we let ourselves alone. We will all die lost and that's not God's will. According to the measure of a man. Now what does he say there? Read it. Now you notice. Now this is Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And they went with him. And when the Sabbath 
never raise his finger. He'll never knock on the door. He'll never raise the window. He'll never ring the doorbell. He'll never sound the siren. He'll never blow a horn. He'll never play a note. He'll never stomp. He'll never rap on the wall. He's there in the midst of the unbelief. But yet he is so courteous and so kind until he will bear with us in our unbelief. He went and the disciples went with him. And he went to his hometown where he was reared and brought up and trained. Read. He began to teach in the synagogue. He began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. Where did this wisdom come from? Hear it. Read. All right, read on. Yes, sir. You see, in Capernaum, Bethsaida, Capernaum, and uh, Chorazin, seven of the twelve apostles lived in that region. This was a region north of the Sea of Galilee in a very poor area of the country. And some of the greatest miracles that he ever did, the seven created miracles that is itemized and cataloged for us in the book of St. John, all took place around Chorazim, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Seven created miracles when the water was turned to wine, when God raised the nobleman's son, and when the man at the pool of Bethesda was there. Oh, friend of mine, some of the greatest, most outstanding phenomena arose out of the soil of the hearts of the people who lived in Galilee. But now he comes to Nazareth. He comes to Judea. And here's what he says. Read. Is not this the... Watch their carnal rationalizing. Did you know you can carnally and intellectually rationalize all of the supernaturalism out of the Bible and out of God? And you can reduce him to an improper fraction in your very life. You can even just make him a period, not even a quotation mark. You can license yourself to be sterile and impotent and unconcerned. But I'm telling you tonight, that's not the kind of believers he wants. Those are not the kind of followers that get things done. What else does he say there? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not son this the carpenter's son? The brother of James. Well, here we know his brother. And, Joseph, and yes. And, and we know his sisters. Yes. Well, dear Lord, we know all about that, know all about the family tree. Why, have mercy, God. I saw all of him all of my life. Did you know I was reared in that community? The same synagogue he went to, I went to. Now he comes back and tells us that he is the Son of Man. How can this be? There wasn't a poorer family that lived in the tribe of Judah than Joseph. Because when he was brought to the temple when he was 33 days old in the book of Luke, you can find that he was the poorest of the poor because he brought two pigeons. This was the poorest of the poor often. This were people that had no cattle. They had no sheep. They had no oxen. They had nothing but turtle doves. And I assume by some Jewish trick they caught them. The poor of the poorest. And so he had said, we've known him. And they were offended at him. They saw the carpenter shop where he worked. And he could there they saw the trade that his father taught him, which was according to the Jewish law. They saw the little old house where he lived. 
They saw the yard wherein he played. They saw the streets on which his footprints was left in the sand. And they said, what? show you things that you have never seen have we forgot that inaugural address preceding it was a prelude to a miraculous dimension that God wished to work in this church I'm asking you let us evaluate our unbelief tonight but he was right there in their unbelief he let it limit him he let it stop him. He let it chain him. He let it do what it wanted to do in all of the ill-manneredness of unbelief. He allowed the thwarting, the tying, the slowing down of it, the stopping, the paralytic effect it had, the sedation it had. It took the life out of their religious experience. It took the zest out of their prayer. It took the fire out of their soul. It took the revival out of their community. It took the healing from their families. There were a lot of sick people in Nazareth. There were a lot of people that needed miracles. But because their unbelief prevented Almighty God from doing the miraculous according to the measure of a man. If you don't believe for the supernatural in your life according to the measure of a man. If you want it slow and you want it easy, and you want it mediocre, he'll let it be that way. But if you refuse to settle for that, if you come up pushing, if you come out swinging, I'm not interested in the mediocre. And I know the miraculous is much more expensive. But I want what God wants, and God wants what I want. And he is so able to do it until he will help me promote the vision that he has allowed me to see according to the measure of a man. According to the measure of a man. Let's say it together. According to the measure of a man. Wear out your sickness and let your sickness wear you out. But God doesn't want it that way. But you want it that way. And as long as you're willing to put up with it and accept it, just that long it will plague you according to the measure of a man. The unbelief stopped them. It closed the door. It pulled down the shades. It locked the windows. It bolted the doors. But he was there. Potential miracles. A man that talked to the wind. A man that settled the storm. A man that raised the dead. A man that healed the paralytic. That opened the blinded eyes. That unstopped the deaf ears. But not one deaf ear was opened in Nazareth. Not one blinded eye. 
Was it because he who did it was not there? He was there. He came into their streets. He entered into the synagogues. He read from the law of Moses. But they, in their unbelief, limited his activity. And we can do the same thing. You're going to measure your gift. You're going to measure your consecration. You're going to measure the miracle. He is limited to your unbelief. Sit around on these jobs and compromise with these people. Don't let your light shine. Don't live for God according to the measure of a man. When you could stand up Yes, I have the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Lord heals. Yes, the Lord fills with the Holy Spirit. Yes, baptism in Jesus' name is right. How do you know but on the job where you work that God let every person come on that job so that you could be his object lesson? How are you measuring your God on that job? Is he a sick, spindly, salivated, ugly non-prayer answering God feeble every little old carnality that passes by every little carnal parade that's put on every little ostentatious display of the flesh you fall and you tremor but you don't have to do it that way according to the measure of a man according to the measure of a man according to the measure of a man I don't know whether I'm making myself plain or not but I'm telling you it doesn't have to be this doesn't have to be that way. That's right. It's not God's will for it to be that way. I'm telling you that Israel, 
When they were delivered out of Egyptian bondage, the Bible tells me in a city of three million people, there was not a feeble one among them. Figure that out. Because he was Jehovah Rapha. There's a lot of people sick tonight that needs deliverance. But according to the measure of a man, according to the measure of a man, it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want it. He said, Beloved, I wish you above all things you'd prosper and be in health as your soul prosper. And you say, well, I'm just going to let the Lord have his way. Get off of that and get out of here. Don't tell me no such a mess as that. God is Jehovah Rapha according to the measure of a man. It does not have to be that way. When they measured the city 1,500 miles, it was the measure of a man. And if that fellow had measured it 1,800 miles, she'd have been 1,800. If it had measured it 2,000, it would have been 2,000. Let me show you another little trick that God will let us do. He said, now, Abraham, I want to tell you this thing. Will you get down there where I'm going? He won't quit. If we don't give up, he won't give up. Hallelujah. Dear Lord, I hope to blow you out of that seat. Amen. <laughs> quit accepting the ordinary. Quit living on just the basic. Get in orbit. Let's go. Let's have a citywide revival. Let's have hundreds get the Holy Spirit. Let's have hundreds get the Holy Spirit. Let's have hundreds get the Holy Spirit. According to the measure of a man. As the days become evil. As the tidal waves become higher. God wants us to climb on top of them and be a surf rider. And claim the impossible. That that cannot be seen. That that cannot be felt. That that has not been known but we will reach into the unknown regions of faith and say, Lord, I believe you for it. Yes. According to the measure of a man. Yes, yes sir. Oh. We accept things because we want it that way. Somebody said, oh, I'd like to have it. Yeah. Fan you the third strike. You just follow and said, well, maybe the Lord didn't want me to have it. No way. You coward. That's what's the matter with you. He won't stop if you won't stop. He won't quit if you won't quit. Let the devil nail you. Let him give you the seven-year itch, and you scratch all your hide down to the epidermis, and scratch it to the bone, and then scratch the bone, and then scratch the bone to the bone, and get into the marrow. But it doesn't have to be that way. I'm telling you, it's not God's will to let the carnal superintendency of my life be out there giving me orders according to the measure of a man. 
You can get delivered from anything tonight you want delivered from. That's right. Anything. I name it and take it. Don't tell me nothing. There's nothing King one time, Jehoshaphat got involved with Ahab and his son got involved with old Ahab and, and Jezebel's daughter. And uh, there he was out there. And he said to the prophet, he said, <clears throat> what does the Lord say about this union? He knew you ought not to be involved with such a no tomcat and hussy as uh, Jezebel. But political demagoguery and skullduggery and persuasion and vanity and monarchy entertainment. The first thing you know, Jezebel's daughter got looking at Jehoshaphat's son. And the first thing you know, wedding bells began to ring. Oh, Jezebel, she was a smart cookie. Because she was on the northern throne. And then she got her daughter to liken Jehoshaphat's son. And then Jezebel's seed got on the southern throne. You watch the devil wire work a lot of people. And now he gets out here. Bless his heart. He said, Lord, what are you going to do? He said, go see if you can find me a prophet that knows something about the will of God. <clears throat> he said, you go back and tell Jehoshaphat, if he'll dig the ditches, I'll put the water in them. You mean that's the way God's going to win this battle? He has the cutest ways in the world of doing things. And that's one of the reasons that I love the Lord, I suppose, so much. He is so utter mystical. And they said, huh, when they were told about it, if it were to come a flood, wouldn't fill that bunch of ditches. But can't you just see those old Israelites out there with their pick and their shovel and everything? They're having bulldozers or some of these snoots that they dig out and get the ground out. Boys as out there with a pick and a shovel, and they dug the ditches, and that night... God stirred up a little cloud over here and put a lot of things in it. First thing you know, mixed a little hot air with it and mixed a little cold air with it, and it went to raining. And it rained down frogs almost and colored babies. Lord God, it come a deluge. It was almost a young flood from the antediluvian world. And they got up the next morning and they looked out there said, my Lord and my God, they've had a civil war tonight and the ditches are full of blood because that old sunrise, God give it the right hue over the horizon and give her that painted her cheeks and fixed her up just right. And when her glitter fell on that water, they said, Lord, that those ditches are full of the blood of that mother. Let's go fall on them. That's just what the Lord wanted. Because there was a fellow that was supposed to be trying to live right, but he messed around and got into it with the wrong bunch. And he repented, called on the Lord. God filled up the ditches. They won the battle, stuffed the loot in their pockets, and went home. And there was never seen down there no more. If you get into it, tell God you're in it. Don't put your head in the sand like an ostrich and say, well, I don't know anything about it. I don't know where I need God. Oh, come on now. Let's be honest. Voice you need. Broadcast you need. Teletype you need. Send it by Western Union. Ring up long distance. Dear God, call on. His number's never busy. You can always pray and you never get a busy signal. You can call my house and get a busy signal or you can get one clear. I'm not complaining. I'm only relating. But when you call his number, 
He's always there ready to see what you've got to say. And if you've got you some faith mixed with it, he said, look out, boys, it's on the way. Get ready, here she comes. I'm sending an air mail special delivery return receipt signed. It's according to the measure of a man. It's according to the measure of a man. Well, dear Lord, I've got to quit. Oh, Lord. Abundantly. Above all that we can think or ask. Fix you up a big one. Think you up a big one. Think you as big. Think yourself big. That's doing what? According to the power working in us. According to the measure of a man. According to the measure of a man. According to the measure of a man. He will do anything. He will do more than you can think. But it's according to what's working in you. See, it's riding your airwaves. It's riding your frequency. It's tuned in on your spirit. It's tuned in on your belief or your unbelief. All right. Lord, I've got to close. Here he is. Well, just read, read that about where Jesus wants to get in us. I like God in us. That makes us all little God. Yes, yes it does. And I will pray. And I'll pray to Father. And he shall give you another comfort. Somebody said, how do I get in on this program? I'm so glad you want to know. Jesus gave the secret right here. Yeah, even the spirit of Yes. Jesus Jesus he'll climb in your little old boat and ride with you as long as you want to ride and when you want to rest he'll rest and when you want to work he'll work and when you want to play he'll play God in our house God in our bodies. He wants to live in you according to the measure of a man. Let's stand. I wouldn't know how to say it any plainer. What shall I say? He knows our need tonight. You who are here who do not have the Holy Spirit according to the measure of a man. If you want it, all you have to do is come and receive it. You don't get it, it gets you. I said, it will get you. You don't get him. He will get you, but it'll be according to the measure of a man. We got a baptizing here. Anybody else want to get baptized in Jesus' name? Just raise your hand. We got one wants to be baptized in Jesus' name. Somebody said, I've been baptized, but I wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. I'm sorry they didn't do it right. <laughs> they just didn't do it like it should be done. It's got to be done in Jesus' name. I say, it's got to be done in Jesus' name. It's got to be done in Jesus' name. According to the measure. Sing it. Faith I see. Make me what I ought to be. Oh.
make me what I ought to be. Come up higher to thy face, I say. Oh, make me what I ought to be. Oh, well, make me what I ought to be. Let's sing it triumphantly. Help me to be. Bid me come up higher till thy face I see. Make me what I ought to be.